0: going to be talking about overwhelm and fatigue that you might be feeling right now with everything going on in the world. So as a special gift, at the end of this episode is a special breathwork exercise to help support you through the process. And once we're done with the bulk of the episode, you'll hear her kick in. So make sure you park your car if you're driving so you don't get caught up not paying attention to what's on the road. Misasha, can you tell us a little bit about our special guest?
1: Yes, so her name is Jenny Penny, and I've known Jenny for at least the past five years. And not only is she an amazing person, she's also a mom of four kids. She runs her own business, which you can find on Instagram at Butterfly Skin and Beauty. But she also is committed to doing anti-racist work and the difficult work in anti-racism she has been doing some virtual breath work and breath circles in our community, in which she has just requested that in compensation you take one action item, whether it's in addressing anti-racism, whether it's donating to Black Lives Matter, whether it's attending a protest, whether it's buying a book or course from a Black leader who is talking about white privilege and anti-racism. So she is one of those people that, as we'll talk about later, has skin in the game. And we are so happy to have her donate her gift of breathwork To the podcast today. Welcome to the Dear White Women Podcast.
0: We're your hosts, Sarah and me, Sasha. And today we want to talk about how to be an ally even when you feel overwhelmed. Because I think if you have not been existing under a rock, you're probably getting a little overwhelmed with the number of emails coming from all the corporations talking about where they stand with regards to Black lives. And you're talking about all the social media resources that are coming at you. And everybody has great ideas. There's a lot of good resources out there. But what, Misasha, you and I have been talking about is this fear that white fatigue is what we're going to call it. But that's what's going to set in. Because if you remember a few months ago when COVID 19 kicked in. And especially for those of us who are parents, there were like a trillion beautiful color coded charts on how you're going to work this schedule with your children at home and like all the homeschooling resources. And I think after about a week of idealistic living, I was like, holy cow, I can't do this. Like I shut down from COVID planning because there were so many resources out there. And this feels very reminiscent of that time.
1: Yes, I would really agree. And I think that it has felt different this past week, the level of engagement that we've seen from people, especially big corporations, especially white people who have come forward and said, unequivocally, Black Lives Matter. We have a problem with systemic racism in this country, and we need to address it. But, you know, and Sarah, you and I were talking about this. We've seen also on social media, you know, people will throw up the Black Lives Matter hashtag. They'll put their one Black Lives Matter post out there. And then it's. really easy to segue into something that is more comfortable. And I think that is our big fear here that you see all these resources, you're like, great, I'm going to educate myself, which is absolutely the first step. And we'll talk about that as well. And you open that list and you're like, okay, there are 50 books here. And then there are 200 things that I need to watch. And you know, our natural human state of inertia starts to kick in and your self-preservation state starts to kick in. And if you're white, you have the ability to look away, to shut the list and be like, well, I don't have time to do all of this. I've got X, Y, and Z to do. So I think In creating this episode, we really wanted to talk about how to combat that, because that will come, and if it's not there already, and what you can do, and some things to keep in mind as you are working on your anti-racist journey and education.
0: Absolutely. And to be fair, it does feel different. Right now feels different than when the news of Ahmaud Arbery's death and murder you sort of came to light. I think there was about a week where I saw a lot of people posting in outrage and then it faded. This time it feels different. You know, it feels like at least certainly, I mean, we're seeing lots of interest in this show, even that you're listening to right now. We've seen a huge statement. So yes, again, it feels different, but we need to make sure that we help each other all make this a sustainable process. We don't want to burn out because this is talking about changing our lifestyle, changing our mindset for the long haul, not just bringing awareness to an issue and then having someone hand you a magic pill and making it go away. This is work and this is what we have to do from here on out on a moment-by-moment basis because One of the things I've talked about is, you know, as an adult, you always tell your kids, stop interrupting me, get out of here, you know, go away. Like we teach them not to interrupt, but we forget after we say that to our kids all the time, we forget that it is our job as adults to interrupt patterns of hate, to interject when there are moments that aren't sitting right, to know enough and to be bold enough to speak up so that we don't let silence make that decision for us to agree with whatever is happening or is being said in that moment.
1: I love that. I think the point about interrupting is so important and worth repeating because, you know, in other ways, we have honored people with moments of silence or we have used silence as a tool of respect, I guess, for lack of a better word. But this is one of those moments where we cannot be silent, where we have to interrupt because we are talking about 400 years of systemic oppression. And this journey to change that course in a real meaningful way and a way that impacts the lives of Black people, it will take time. It is not going to be an easy fix. There's not going to be the one right thing you can say, the one thing that you can absolutely do, and this is going to make a difference and you're going to feel good about it. Because along the way, you're probably going to feel pretty bad about it. To be perfectly honest, because Sarah, I know you and I, when we've had our uncomfortable conversations, I feel bad a lot of times when you think about because you really have to examine your own privilege and where you are and then remind yourself as you're doing the work that it isn't about you. So all of those things are very uncomfortable feelings to sit with, and they still are uncomfortable even after an extended period of time doing this work.
0: Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it challenges you to grow as a person, not just as an anti-racist person, someone who's fighting against that system, but just as a person to be able to be humble, to take feedback, to take criticism, and stop without getting defensive. So this is a great process for us as humans to be going through as well, and Yes, I know people are saying, I'm sorry it's taken me so long You on know, some of the emails that I see. I can't believe I haven't addressed this so far. Cool. We can't change what's happened until now, but we absolutely can change what we do from this exact moment onward. And that's what I'm excited to talk about because even later in this show, we're going to talk about smizing, smiling with our eyes and how I've totally messed that up too. And so I want to just get to this conversation. One of the things that frustrates me, I'm in some groups on Facebook and in it, people, they're unrelated to race, right? They're more athletic related groups. And in it, some people have posted Black Lives Matter, or please read this article. And others have said, hey, look, this was a group just to make us feel good about exercising. Why do we have to go to politics? Why can't we go back to normal? And I think first... Aside from, I'm very glad to see a lot of people pushing back and it's a very respectful for the most part That in the ones that I've seen. I appreciate the talking back, but I think what I want to emphasize is there's no normal to go back to. Not, not everybody wants to go back to normal. Normal was the state where white people got to oppress black people. What black person wants to go back to normal? You yeah. know, what a privileged position to say, can we go back to normal? That can we, I can unplug from this group or this conversation because it makes me a little uncomfortable. I don't want to deal with it. I want to accept that there, especially now that COVID is, I mean, let's like the one-two punch in 2020, Let's ex- accept that there is no normal to go back to, and we have to create the world that we want to live in from middle of twenty twenty onwards. And it's going to take a while, but I'd really like to see it not go back to where we were for so many reasons. I mean, I think Giulio Gambuto. I think we mentioned his gaslighting piece on Medium a long time ago. It's a long time ago It was all relative. I'm in a time warp right now. It's probably like a month ago. But you know, there are pieces out there that talk about this very sort of big picture. I want to accept that and, you know, both create my own personal different like world, but also help impact the normal of our country that we're going to create going forward.
1: Yeah. And I think it's, you know, like we've mentioned, talking about racism and talking about systemic oppression in our country is not easy. And so people want to move away from the topic, want to talk about something that is easier. And it is often easy. It's often a way that we've seen from our leaders. When you don't want to talk about something, you talk about a whole bunch of other things.
0: Deflection, like we did with children when they were little.
1: Yes, and this, I think we saw this in a really powerful and upsetting way this week with Drew Brees because. For all the non sports people like me, can you explain a little bit of context, please? Drew Brees is the quarterback for the New Orleans Saints. He was the quarterback that came in and gave a whole bunch of money after Katrina. He sort of Katrina really was the start of his rise as a quarterback in New Orleans and he led the Saints to a Super Bowl post Katrina, which and you know for those of you who have heard this podcast for a while, you know my husband is from Louisiana, so we have a ton of Saints gear in our house. Like we Yes. And for the new listeners,
0: can we point out he is a Black man from Louisiana? Is a black man from
1: Louisiana. So Drew Brees has a deep history in the South. And Drew Brees plays football with a whole bunch of Black men. So that is also really important. He is in the locker room daily well, not daily right now. No one's in any locker rooms right now, but he has teammates who are black teammates that, and you know, if you've ever been on a, a sports team, you know, don't have a ton of experience with that, but absolutely, what I've heard, you really work as a family and you are close because you have to work together. So when he made his comments this week, where he was asked how he would feel once football comes back, if, players were taking the knee during the national anthem. And to rewind a little bit more, Colin Kaepernick in 2017 first sat during the national anthem and then kneeled during the national anthem, which I might add he did on the advice of a military, someone who had served in the military, because he was protesting the treatment of people of color and particularly the Black community. At the hands of society, of white people, of law enforcement. So he was taking the knee, which was probably one of the most courageous things I've ever seen anyone do because that ended his football career essentially. But he stood for something, and that was by kneeling. So that's super important. So fast forward back again. Drew Brees asked this question: What do you think would happen? How would you react if this happened? You know, once football comes back. And I think there's a million things he could have said right? He could have said a whole bunch of things. But what he said, and I found to be so interesting is because what you say in those moments, those unscripted moments are really what you believe. I think fundamentally what you believe. And he said he would absolutely not agree with that, because that is disrespectful of our flag, disrespectful of our country because he had two grandfathers who fought in World War II. And I think that so since then, he's issued like several apologies. You know, he called out Donald Trump on Instagram. I'm sure his PR people are really into that right now. But I think what he did was really upsetting because he pulled the conversation away from where it should be. It should be about Black Lives Matter. It should be about all of us, especially white allies or white people in the position to use their voice to push for change. He talked about something different. And I think that, as Aaron Rodgers put it, it was never about the flag. It was never about America, why Colin Kaepernick took that knee. Because if you think about what is the flag, what does America represent? How do we differently view that If let's, and in what time frame do we view that? Do we, does that represent, does the flag represent the white person's experience in America? Does it represent the black person's experience in America? Does it account for all those black soldiers who went to fight in wars in different countries and came for freedoms and privileges that the minute they came home, they didn't have? I mean, it's so astoundingly ignorant in some ways to have him say that. And it's so heartbreaking in other ways, because when you have this chance, you have this ability to say something and mean something or say nothing. If this is if you're going to distract from the real issues, he chose to take this difficult and very difficult to understand, I guess, option of saying something that he meant but unfortunately was a total distraction and offensive so We really want people to speak up. We want people to do something, and we'll talk about that a little bit more, in what ways, you know, speaking up and doing something is great. And making mistakes will happen. We know that. We've made mistakes. We absolutely think mistakes will happen, and that's how you learn and grow. But if what you're going to say is distracting from the conversation, if it's detracting from the work that needs to be done to really support the Black community, to ensure that we are getting towards, we are working towards... Towards this anti-racist model to ensure that Black lives do matter, then sometimes you need to sit back and just listen or pause for a second. Because as Sarah, you and I talk about all the time, it's really important
0: to educate yourself about why you say. Absolutely. It reminds me of a social media sort of conversation that went around about a woman or someone holding mug of hot coffee, call it. And someone bumped into her. Why did the coffee come spilling out of her cup? And People would say, well, it was the person who bumped her fault or she wasn't careful or whatever. No, it's because what she had inside the mug was coffee. And so what you were saying was when people are bumped in those moments, when Drew Brees was asked that question, what in, was inside of him came out. And regardless of whether you issue an apology, I guess, you know, when we make mistakes, I think the biggest thing, because that was a mistake or that was revealing, I should say, of his truth. And if he then has an opportunity to reflect on it and see that it was a mistake, that's when the growth happens. That's when a true apology can be issued. But if you gloss over it and issue, it wasn't really my fault, it was blah, blah, blah. Like those, I mean, we saw that with Leah Michelle the actress, the article that you and I were sending around back and forth, we're seeing this happen. And so I guess that's when one suggestion is when we inevitably make a mistake, just stop for a second. Don't respond. Don't knee-jerk react. Just sit with it to give yourself a chance to emotionally cool down because we do get defensive when we make mistakes. Nobody likes to feel bad Amy Cooper didn't like to be caught out with her dog off a leash and look at what came out of her. So when you're caught out making a mistake, just in general, stop your mouth, sit with it. And let yourself cool the emotions down so your rational brain can take over to reflect on if that correction made any sense to you at all, if there was anything to learn. You know, what you said about the flag and how, what does it represent, reminded me of that comment we just, there is no normal to go back to if we want to truly create an anti-racist society. And what we're talking about is this combination. It's when we talk about people being racist, we have been raised in a racist society in America. It just is, it's how it was founded. Misasha, you're the resident amateur historian. You and I have talked about this a lot. And systemic racism is what we're talking about. That book, White Privilege, really sets it up beautifully. You know, we're not talking about The fact that racists are the people who lynch a black man, you know, who use the N-word, like who commit violence. You don't have to go to those extremes or paint that caricature of a human being in order to hold racist beliefs deep inside you in that coffee mug, right? It's in the air we breathe in this country. And so, yes, absolutely. We're talking about addressing our inner reactions to things. And that is part of the process. And there are institutions in place You know, voter rolls, you can probably come up with a ton more about like the incarceration system, bail. Like, there's just so many systemic things that also support the perpetuation of racism. And those two things are what we talk about when we're talking about doing anti racist work.
1: Yeah, I love that. And I think that it's important to remember the scale and how, when you talk about anything in society, That race is a part of it, right? Race is a part of how we even look at what is happening with our, because we're parents, you know, Zoom schooling or remote learning, right, in the era of COVID-19, which, you know, I'm sure we're going to talk a lot more about later, or, you know, the spread of COVID-19, just taking it to a very current events level, right? When we talk about this with our friends, our families, our kids, there is always race there. And it's impossible to separate that out. This is what we mean when we're saying that we, this is a, we grew up in a racist society, ha, is a part of everything that we do in our society. So if we're really doing the anti-racism work and moving towards this anti-racist society, we have to address those
0: in every part of our society. So speaking about society here's where i've messed up okay i sort of i have lived in you know i'm half japanese half white, and over the last decade, after living in very international towns and cities for all over the place, have lived for the last decade in predominantly white areas and I have a lot of white friends in our area because that 's how it's turned out and yet with the work we do and you know like i feel I have a lot of feelings and i'm also an emotional like feeling type of person right so I have totally done this. And I'm going to say, I'm going to give myself an excuse, which you can feel free to shoot down. I remember when I was singing in a gospel choir in college, some of the Black individuals in the choir talking about on our campus at college You know when racism exists or you know who doesn't have black friends because when you walk down the corridor, the sidewalk, whatever, the people who don't have black friends don't even bother to look the black people in the face. Like they don't look at us in the face because they know from a distance that that's a black man. I'm not going to, that they must not be my friend. And that stuck with me being like, oh, that must suck to feel unacknowledged, to feel people blowing you off because they can tell from a distance that you are nobody that they need to know or that they might know. And I also happen to have black friends. So like I do, I look, I mean, I'm also one of those people who smiles at people in elevators. Like I sort of talk to people all over the place as my personality and that, what they said though, stuck with me. So I do look people in the face as we go down the street or in the aisles at Target. And especially with everything that's happened recently, I was in Target with my little mask, shopping recently during COVID, And I saw a few different black families, and I totally looked them in the face, and I did like the smile. They can't see that I'm smiling, so my eyes sort of squint, and I'm like. And then afterwards, I was like, "Did they think that I was smiling at them because of everything that's going on? And I'm just one of those people who now is scared of them, but I'm going out of my way to overcompensate by smiling at like I had this whole reel of conversation going on in my brain as I was continuing to walk down past the beans, and (laughs) like. (laughs) So when you talk to me about the experience you had, the conversation you had recently speaking with a black friend of yours, right? And they talked about the smizing. Can you share what that feels like from a black person's point of view and what they had shared with you? I'm going to say that there is
1: a difference between how you're talking to your Black friends about this, like real friends, true oh, yeah. friends, and, you know, the one Black person that you may have, an, you know, randomly from like, you know, your running club or something. I will say there should be an absolutely, you know, is a difference in how and asking a close friend how you're feeling, how you're doing with all of this is something totally different. And I think we should put that in a separate category. But what I have heard from friends who are Black is that there is a little bit of an overcompensation now. Everyone is so overly friendly. You know, the smizing how you discuss, like, we're we're still in shelter in place here. So you can't really go out that much. But when, you know, friends have gone out, They've mentioned in this past week, they've mentioned that people are really friendly, like the smizing in line, you know, just trying to wave and, you know, say a hi when they're out on their bike rides, which is not, you know, the common occurrence necessarily around here. It takes it a a little bit too far for some people, I think. Some people, and, you know, obviously I'm not Black. I don't know how this feels in this moment as a Black person. So this may be great for some people. But I think to have such a drastic shift in, you know, several days when suddenly every company... Under the Sun is now coming out with their list of black resources and, you know, Amazon Prime now has on their banner Mm -hmm. Black Lives Matter and their first, I mean, so we have our Amazon profile is basically like, hello, family, you like black movies that are rom-coms, but for everyone else now suddenly it's the black movie hardship and, you know, struggle list of movies that are right up there first so I think the friends have wondered how genuine that is and how long that'll last is the other thing which is why I think part of what prompted us to record this episode to talk about what people are feeling and to talk about ways in which we can help ways in which we can truly be allies
0: and allies for the long haul yes exactly I think that's a great entry into this conversation of what is an ally. And I had shared a video that talked about the difference between allies and co-conspirators. And I will probably not do the video justice. It was brilliant. I can't figure out for the life of me how to share someone else's IGTV on our own feed so that everybody can watch it. But I did share it in our stories the other day. What I thought was interesting is this distinction between someone who is book smart, right? You talked about all the movies that Amazon is listing. There's like resource lists of at least 20 to 40 books, like in-depth thick books that people can read. We can know intellectually all the things that have happened in our history and we absolutely want everybody to study and learn and educate ourselves. And yet that's part of the process. That's not the whole process. The next step is to have skin in the game is basically what this video was saying. And a co-conspirator, in the video, they talked about this example of a protest and for symbolic reasons, a Black person was going to climb the flagpole and remove the Confederate flag. And the officers came ready to tase that person or to tase the pole to get this woman off. And what this person who went beyond allyship into co-conspiratorship with this move simply put their white hand on the flagpole because then the officers knew that they would then tase a white man and it stopped the officers from doing anything. This person had skin in the game. They became a co-conspirator in the process. And so that's really critical to remember that when you're going through this process and to make it sustainable, don't just stop with books and introspection. We absolutely encourage that. And you can do this all at your pace, but we need to keep moving in the direction of taking steps to be co-conspirators in the process of putting our bodies, our privilege on the line to truly help those who are needing assistance because they can't do it alone. I
1: think that's such an important distinction. And particularly important when you think about, I mean, I wrote a very fired up LinkedIn post about that, which is probably the most fired up I've ever been on LinkedIn. So clearly, I feel strongly about this. But I think the other component of having skin in the game and putting what you have, your privilege out there, be it monetary, be it volunteer, be it talking to people, be it however you can do it with mistakes and everything, is that especially now, white people need to take the lead in doing that. It's not enough to ask your Black friend how can I help? Which is a great question, especially if you are close to that person and you know that that question is going to generate those answers of and real how you can help. But if you're thinking about donating money, organize that donation yourself. Like do not wait for the black person, you know, your friend down the street, for your parent group on Facebook lead that charge, lead by example, because a lot of other fear, I think, Sarah, that you and I have is that there's a lot of lip service a lot of times about change, right? And it's great, and it's right now, all over social media, right? We've got all these things that we need to do and we're all in it together. And yes, social justice and Black Lives Matter. But the minute that you know this passes or when the tiredness starts to set in or the fatigue or the overwhelm, like two, three weeks from now, you know this needs to be a process. This needs to be led by white people in a way that you know why you're doing what you're doing. But you are going to be the ones who are gathering your friends, your neighbors, talking, reading, discussing, volunteering, voting with your wallet, donating, voting in elections to get the officials in office who are willing and committed to making the systemic change. But it's a continual process led by white people boom.
0: <laughs> that wasn't even a legal mic drop. That was, like, I think that's true. And I think that when this fades, I'm going to go, this is unprecedented. I will say that I have not seen this level of interest of discourse on social media. The books by Ibrahim Kindi and Leila Saad, I think, are sold out in hard copy. Like This is great. I still think it's going to fade. It has to change shape And I agree, we can't wait for Black people to be like, actually, we still matter. You know, this has to be forefront. And it's important for you, each of you and each of us to create a system, a routine thing that we are doing because we know our why to make it sustainable. And so I think what we were talking about earlier was this idea of moving from being, I'm not a racist to actively being anti-racism. And one of the things you and I talked about also in an email exchange was this idea of like one easy way, and I want to just talk about a few resources that we might be able to offer, is to ask if you see someone making, you know, a joke that's not really a joke or making inappropriate comments. Sometimes it's hard to find the best witty way to interrupt them to make it not wreck a dinner party or do something like that. But one of the easiest ways to disarm that situation is to simply ask this question. What do you mean by that? Because you bet they're going to be caught off guard. Yeah, because that creates a moment, if they're being
1: intellectually honest or honest with themselves, of introspection, because you have to dig deep. I think it also works well with kids, too, because especially older kids who may be repeating something that they've heard, they're telling you about something that happened in school, online or otherwise, and it gives them pause, too, because they it takes them through the process of critically thinking about why they say what they say, which is important in everyone's lives, regardless of scope or sphere, but
0: especially now and especially this. I like that critical thinking is a skill that benefits everybody in any situation anyway and it's not really strongly taught in our schools as of yet. So that is a great thing to foster in the home within your relationships with friends, you know, all over the place. One thing I did wanted to throw out there was how do we you and I me Sasha offer sort of a bit more guidance because if I'm honest I also like we have some of these resources that we've put out there which we'll talk about in a second, but how do we make sure that we're moving forward to actually make time to watch the five-minute video clip, to read that one article. And I wondered if it would be helpful for our listeners if we put together a weekly calendar to combat the fatigue, not like, you know, let's read this gigantic book every week because let's be real, that's going to take time. But if it's sort of five, 10-minute hits or questions to ask yourself every day maybe not even that long, would people be interested? Because I would be willing and able to put that together and do it myself too, because that will hold me accountable to continuing to read through the new resources that come up. I mean, you know more than anybody, me, Sasha, I find it hard to sometimes sit and listen to a video. So that would make me sit down and watch something.
1: I love it too. And again, we would love to hear what you think about this because its it keeps the anti-racist work and the process top of mind and it does not let us look away when we're going to want to because it will get difficult. And I think sometimes for the things that really matter difficult is good because difficult is where the change happens. And we say it in so many different venues of our life. I can't tell you how many exercise classes I've been in where, you know, you say this like, and I've said it as an instructor, but it's true, especially in changing our mindset, thinking more critically, acting more critically. I love the idea of a daily action
0: so that we can continue to move forward. That sounds good. Well, I'm glad that you're on board. If anybody... listening wants to be on board, what do you think? Just drop us a line at email just so I know that this is a good enough idea to spend my time on. Drop us a line at hello at dearwhitewomen.com. The other stuff I want to point out is the resources we've already put together. We do have a sheet on how to begin talking to your kids about race. We have a evergreen list that we've, we're have we going to keep updating as more stuff popping you know pops up about our favorite articles and videos. I'll pull from that list to start for this calendar if that's what people want. And our patrons, because we did just launch a Patreon account, just got our list that uh, outlines 10 anti-racist steps that we recommend taking just to frame this whole process of work that I hope a lot of us are taking seriously and willing to take on. You want to tell them about the most exciting part? That what's why we really launched the Patreon right now?
1: Yes, you guys, we have a book club and we are super excited because Sarah knows a lot about book clubs. I do not know a lot about book clubs because my book clubs were largely excuses to drink together. So anyway, but I'm particularly excited about this book club because we are focusing on anti-racism and anti-racist books and to create a dialogue along with You know, if you guys are into the calendar idea, but to create this ongoing dialogue and to get us critically thinking about what these people are saying about racism and society in America and their thoughts on change and how we can take what they're saying and translate that into how we think, and what we do. So we are working on picking our first book, which is super exciting, and we should have more information about that soon. But in the meantime, if you want to continue this dialogue in a very real way, we would love it if you would join. The information is on our website. It's right on that landing page. So it's very easy to see. Feel free to email us at that same hello at dearwhitewomen.com if you have any questions or would like a little more information.
2: Hi, everybody. My name is Jenny Penny, and I've known Sasha for a couple of years now. I'm so grateful that she and Sarah asked me to just offer the wisdom that I hold around healing and breath work and So thank you for having me here and keeping me accountable for the ways that I can show up and be in service to anti-racism. I also want to thank all of you that are actually listening and just acknowledge your commitment and your willingness to be in your own discomfort and work through some of the big emotions that come up with this because let's be real. Like it's uncomfortable, it's gritty, and it's big it's so important for us to be able to have a container where we can experience forgiveness and grace for ourselves. And that is going to happen as we begin to move some of the energy that we're carrying that is stuck and stagnant and outdated, actually. So many of us have outdated beliefs and thought patterns that we're willing to let go of, but don't actually know how to do that. And so, I'm going to teach you different ways to use your breath to create awareness and to help ground you. And then, also, the last breath I'm going to teach you is a breath of transformation. It's a two part breath, and that one is really used to actually move stuck and stagnant energy which is huge. It's so important that we are able to process and move some of these big feelings that we're carrying around. I truly do believe that as we work on our own healing, and we learn to actually process our own grief, it makes us much better listeners and able to hold space for other people as they grieve. And So I just want to invite you all to just be open to any of that. And if it's new for you, that's okay. I'm sure many people are aware of this anyways, but it's basically just recommitting to your own journey and allowing space for yourself to forgive yourself and giving you tools that you can use to move through your discomfort. Okay, so with that, let's get working. I'll show you some of the breath. So the first one is just to basically notice your breath. Like when you are, you know, maybe doing the dishes, going for a walk out in your garden or just relaxing in a chair, you just want to notice your breath. So notice on your inhale what it feels like and notice on your exhale what that feels like. And then if you can just start to expand your awareness to the fact that you are actually breathing in mother earth and as you exhale she is breathing in you so as we inhale we're breathing in mother earth and as we exhale she is breathing in you so just this awareness alone helps to remind us that we are actually in relationship and that is really important we are not here alone having our own individual experience we are part of a greater whole of a collective and we all have an important part to play in that and so just that simple awareness of i am breathing in mother earth and she is breathing in me and we are in relationship is very powerful so the second type of breath is a four-count breath. And I know that many people who have meditation practices use this type of breath already. This is a great one, though. Again, if you are starting a meditation practice or if you have one already, and this basically is just um, counting to four on your inhale and counting to four on your exhale. And what this breath does for me, at least, this breath is very grounding for me. It reminds me to come back into the present moment it reminds me to be conscious and aware of my body and how I'm feeling in my body, if I'm noticing any body sensations. And so, you know, that's just basically like breathing in on a four count. So two, three, four, and then exhaling on a four count. One, two, three, four. And you can stay in this, you know, you can practice this for five minutes at a time, work your way up to 10 or 15 minutes. It's a great way to reoxygenate your body. You know, for all of us that have been wearing masks during the pandemic, you know, this is a great way to actually just reoxygenate your body. And it's very soothing for the nervous system. So if you have any situation where you feel like your nervous system is just frazzled, I highly suggest using this breath two to three times a day and really giving yourself at least five minutes each time to reoxygenate, to ground yourself, to remind yourself to come back into the present moment. So that's the way that I would use the four count breath. And then the last type of breath work I'm going to talk about is the two part breath. And this breath is, I call it the breath of transformation. And I call it that because as you stay in this rhythm, your body will actually begin to vibrate. And you start to experience all kinds of different body sensations. You can feel tingling, you can get hot or cold. And essentially what you're doing with this is moving energy. And the reason that this is so important is because so many of us walk around actually very unconscious to where our energy is or what it's doing or where it's stuck. You know, pain is actually just stuck energy, and we can have tension and pain in our backs, our upper back, our low back, and our necks, and anywhere. We can also carry this in our energy bodies, in any one of our chakras. And many, many times, this is unconscious to us. So we're not aware of it. And sometimes we're aware of the pain or that we have stuck energy, but we actually don't know why it's there. So the two-part breath helps us move out these layers of stuck energy so that we can actually release them. And the way that I see it, it's kind of like peeling an onion, right? So we remove that outer layer and we get closer and closer to the center or the core of what is actually needing healing. So a great way to use this breath for healing in your anti-racism work is to actually set an intention before you breathe. I'm going to show you in just a minute what the rhythm of this breath looks like, and then I'll actually invite you into a space where we can do this. But I do think it is so important before doing this specific kind of breath to actually maybe have your journal ready and to give yourself a prompt or to state an intention. So for example, you could say out loud to yourself, I intend for the breath to help release and remove any blockages or fears I hold about acknowledging and accepting I have been complicit in racism. So that statement alone for many of us will actually bring up resistance. It might even piss us off (laughs) and feel really uncomfortable. And so that's good because you can't heal what you can't feel. And so I'm going to invite you to start creating your intention and then to drop into the breath and allow the bre- all you have to do is commit to the rhythm of the breath. The breath will move whatever blockage is there. You don't really even necessarily need to know what that blockage is. You just need to know that you're willing to release what it is. So with that, I'm going to have you actually, if you can find a place where you can lay down and get comfortable. And once you're ready and comfortable, you can go ahead and close your eyes I'm going to state that intention again, and then I'm going to go ahead and teach you the rhythm of the breath. So that intention is, I intend for the breath to help release and remove any blockages or fears I hold about acknowledging and accepting I have been complicit in racism. Okay. And so we're going to go ahead and get into the rhythm of the breath. And I'm going to demonstrate a couple of times, and then you can go ahead and just find your way into it. So it's into the lower belly, into the chest, and out through the mouth. And all of this is done through the mouth. So it sounds like So I'm already vibrating. But again, that's all through the mouth. You want to make sure that you can feel your lower belly rising, your chest rising, and then the exhale out through your mouth. So... And staying with that rhythm, it's okay to notice if you have any fears coming up. It's okay to notice you might be feeling kind of dizzy. You might be starting to vibrate a little bit or getting warm. Go ahead and notice those things and then get right back into that rhythm. If you start to feel really overwhelmed by it, it's okay to drop back into it. Maybe go into the four-count breath. And then if you feel ready, you can get back into that rhythm. The most important thing is to allow the rhythm of this breath and whatever you're feeling or experiencing to actually come up and be released. So if you feel like you need to scream, go ahead and scream. If you are feeling like you need to cry, let it out. If you need to shake your hands or stomp your feet, do it. Those are great ways to actually move energy. Okay, so that rhythm again is... your mouth feels dry it's okay to go ahead and come back into a normal rhythm so that you can swallow and rehydrate your throat and your mouth you can give yourself you know like 30 seconds to a minute and then try to get back into it for some people two to three minutes might be all that they can take and i'm really going to encourage you to do your best to get to five to ten minutes and I also recommend, if you can, find a class or a workshop that you can take. Doing this breath in a group is so powerful. Um, and I'm also offering every Thursday at 7 p.m., I'm doing a virtual group breathwork session. So I invite everybody to join in on that. And if you're interested, you can email me at J-L-P-E-N-I at 35 at gmail.com. So that was j.l p-e-n-i-35 at gmail.com. Just shoot me an email and let me know that you want to be added to the Thursday night virtual group breath work session. Okay, for any of you that are still breathing, you can go ahead and bring that back down just into your normal breath. And in this time, you just allow yourself to receive. Receive any healing, receiving from your guides and calling all of your energy back and just receiving it. Okay, I wanna thank you so much. Thank you again, Misasha and Sarah, for inviting me to share this. And thank you everybody for showing up to do it and for committing to your anti-racism journey. And this is a journey, it's lifelong, and your willingness to show up in your discomfort, to work through the big emotions that come up with it, to forgive yourself and give yourself some grace is so important. So thank you everybody. And thank you also for holding me accountable in, in my part of the healing of anti-racism. So, so much love to everybody. Take care. Bye-bye.
0: If you love what you're hearing, subscribe to the Dear White Women podcast so you don't miss any of our anti-racist identity affirming episodes released every Wednesday. Shows that seek to show that we as humans rise by lifting others. Support our Patreon, which allows us to keep making work that highlights different narratives that help us broaden our horizons, including a new monthly virtual community centered around book studies. Want to follow us on social media? We're at Instagram and Facebook at Dear White Woman Podcast, and we're on Twitter at DWWPodcast. And of course, we'll be sending out vital info and opinions via email, which you can sign up for on our website, www.dearwhitewomen.com. Thanks for being part of the conversation.